Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Face Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC, and Light 100.5 WRCH. This morning, we're going to be talking all about ticks. This morning, we're joined by Elena Zajak, who's part of a documentary called The Monster Inside Me. She's talking about her experience living with Lyme disease. We're also going to bring on and chat a little bit with Dr. Gudars Molai, the director of the Tick and Tick-Borne Pathogen Surveillance Program in Connecticut. But let's bring on first Elena. Good morning and welcome to Face Connecticut. Thank you, Morgan. Good morning. Elena, just to start off our conversation, it's my understanding you were a child when you were bit by a tick, but not until later in life you were diagnosed with Lyme. Is that correct? I was bit by a tick when I was a child. I think I was about 11 years old at the time when it happened, but I wasn't diagnosed with Lyme disease until much, much later. Um, which is part of the, the story itself. What happened there? So what happened was I was bitten back in the 80s, and that's when Lyme was first discovered. It's been around for a while, but that's when it was first found out and named um, and became an actual disease. And there wasn't a whole lot of information back at that time, and doctors didn't really know what to do about it. So I had a, a, a rash on my chest. And we just let it go. We didn't do anything. I didn't have any symptoms other than the rash at the time. And so we didn't think anything of it. It wasn't until 11 years later that I started having symptoms. And that was brought upon from stress and other things that were going on in my life at the time. After that bite, though, I became a sickly child. I had frequent infections and my immune system started to not work so well. I had chronic sinusitis um, sinus infections all the time. I had chronic urinary tract infections. And I would get just enough antibiotic at the time to put everything else at bay that was starting to go awry. And so I went through this cycle for 11 years of chronic infections over and over again. And then after I graduated college and I went off into the real world, um, ironically, I worked in the media and I was working a strange shift. I used to uh, work for the morning show at Channel 3. So I wrote and I was working these really bizarre hours, and I was starting to have these weird problems. I was not able to deal with being up at night, and I was only 22 years old. I should have all the energy in the world. Um, I had sleeping problems. I had memory problems. I just, I wasn't myself, and um, the doctors couldn't explain it. All my blood work came back fine. Nobody knew what was wrong. I had totally forgotten about the tick bite at that point. Um, 
And it took a long time finally to be diagnosed because I was young and supposedly healthy. Uh, what finally gave it away was, um, let's say I went undiagnosed for 11 years. Um, then I was misdiagnosed. That's what happened. And then they told me I was depressed because I was working strange hours in the middle of the night and I was in a bad job. Um, and different things like that started. So they took me down the psychiatric route and told me that it was all in my head and that I was depressed. So they wanted to fill me full of antidepressants and all that fun stuff. But none of it worked. Um, I had breakthrough symptoms. I was progressively getting sicker and weaker and worse. And that went on for 15 years. I was stuck in that system. And it wasn't until after I got married and did my schooling and everything else um, and had my second child that I was finally properly diagnosed. And that took the work of several doctors, um, some untraditional doctors. It took chiropractors and naturopaths to finally all come together and say, this has to be Lyme. And they found an expert in the area. And I finally was able to be tested with some specialty testing that did, in fact, show that I had Lyme. The reason that I, it took so long to get diagnosed is because the tests are highly inaccurate. They're based on your immune system. They're based on antibodies. And these illnesses, it's not just Lyme. It's a whole bunch of co-infections as well that the ticks carry. They suppress your immune system, and you don't have any antibodies. So you don't pass the test, so to speak, because it doesn't come back positive. So it was missed over and over and over and over again. And that's part of the, the reason that my, my symptoms got so bad and my life changed so dramatically, because we didn't know better, and it took so long to get diagnosed. When you were diagnosed, how did the treatment process begin? When I was first diagnosed, it was by, like I said, the alternative doctor. So I started with some um, homeopathy and some work on my immune system. We did a lot of supplementation, getting my vitamins back into balance and minerals and those kind of things. Um, then when I saw the specialist, we started with antibiotics. I was so, so, so sick at that point that um, I presented very much like a person with uh, multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's. I had a numbness down the right side of my body, my foot dragged, and I shook constantly to the point where I was dropping things all over the point place, terrible tremors. Um, it was really, really bad. So they put me immediately on IV because it needed to cross the blood-brain barrier because I was already having neurological symptoms. So I started with that, and that made me worse before I got better because what happens when you take the antibiotics for so many infections is they kill off all the bacteria, and it releases endotoxins into your system, which makes you feel worse because you're killing more bacteria than your body can detox at once. So your symptoms actually become exacerbated until you kill off enough and can get it out of your system. So it was a really rough go. And I was on antibiotics for four years, actually over four years, um, IV antibiotics, because I had several allergies. So it was hard to work within what most people use to treat as well. So we use a combination of medications. And I did slowly get better. It took, it took a lot of believing in the doctor who was treating me. Um, it took a lot of hard work. It took dietary changes. It took lifestyle changes. It took learning to put myself first and take care of my health first um, to get through it all. But it was, it, was a, it was a great challenge, but it's possible to heal. I am now on the other side after nine years of intense treatment. Um, I'm doing much, much better, and, uh, and there, it, it, it's possible to get, reach remission. So bacteria is always in your system. 
but you can get to a point where you can live with it and live a quality life. Let's check in with our tick expert. He does research for the state, Dr. Gudars Malai, with the Tick and Tick-Borne Pathogen Surveillance Program here in CT. Dr. Malai, if somebody is infected with Lyme, is it possible for it to go unnoticed, be treated improperly? There has been there has been problem. A small percentage of people uh, they might go undiagnosed, or uh, they might not be effectively treated by antibiotics. And this Lyme disease tends to linger around and and come back and haunt those patients who have got Lyme disease. And it's still, it is not clear what are the contributing factors to this. Is this really a kind of ineffective treatment or does it have to do with any other disease agent that might be uh, contributing to these kinds of uh, post-Lyme disease treatment syndrome or or not? Or uh, is that um, some uh, old age uh, symptoms that we all uh, experience after many years of life uh, that may or may not have anything to do with the Lyme disease pathogen. But the direct an- answer to your question is, is yes, a small percentage of people may experience challenges with Lyme disease. Elena Zajac this morning on Face Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham. She's talking about how she's been beating Lyme disease now for many years and been living with it. She's a Connecticut resident. You grew up in Connecticut, actually not far from Lyme, correct? Correct. I was born and raised in Waterford. Waterford. And that's not far at all from Lyme. That's where it all began. Exactly. Two towns over. So when you're getting treated for Lyme disease, Elena, you are taking so much medication how are you taking it in? Good question. It was a variety of different ways. Um, the main route for me was through a port in my chest. Um, I had very bad veins because the the infections had affected all systems in my body, my circulatory system, every system. So, And I needed so much medication that it made more sense to put a central line in. So I had a port in my chest for four years. Um, other ways of taking the medication. I did some intramuscular injections. I also did um, a lot of different drops and tinctures and tons and tons of pills and vitamins and supplements. So it was a variety of ways that we went about getting the medicine in. It's not just you either. Your family, your children have this. Your husband has this. How did that all come about? Yes. So because I didn't know that I had Lyme disease when I got married and when to have my children, I ended up giving it to them. It is possible to pass it in utero to your children. Um, and that's what happened with both of my boys. And then they had subsequent tick bites themselves afterwards, which then exacerbated further symptoms and led us to treatment. Um, my husband, though, we're not quite sure how he or when he was bitten by a tick or got Lyme. Um, he was an outdoors kid as well. He grew up in Connecticut. Um, he was a Boy Scout. He was constantly hunting and camping. He's also a firefighter, so he's out in the woods first doing first response and rescue all the time. So it could have happened at any point. But he, ironically, out of the four of us, was the only one to come up with what they call CDC positive, meaning on his first draw when they actually took the blood from him and sent it out to be tested, he came back with five bands that corresponded. So he is, by the government standards, considered positive. The three of us, um, my two sons and myself, we have Lyme 
specific bands, but we don't have the five that the CDC requires to be considered positive. A Lyme literate doctor knows which strands on these tests or strains on these tests or bands, whatever they call them. They know which ones are specific to that particular disease and can use that along with the clinical symptoms to diagnose you. And that's perfectly okay. The CDC approves of that. Everybody else approves of that. But as far as the testing goes, there's a lot of questions with it. So we're not sure where and when he was bitten, but we know for sure he was. (laughs) So we all four of us went through treatment. I'm Like I said, I was the worst off and it took the longest the boys did pretty well, um, and we all did a combination of antibiotics and herbal supplements and Eastern and Western medicine. But everyone has a different different um, presentation of their, their diseases. We call it tick soup because ticks don't just carry Lyme. They can carry thir- 13 or more other pathogens, and they can be viral, bacterial, fungal. Um, so it depends. And a lot of times people test for Lyme. They take their antibiotics for 30 days. And they're not feeling better. And that's because doctors miss the co-infection part. Most of the ticks in our area carry at least three other illnesses besides Lyme. And they require a different treatment. It's usually a different antibiotic or a different type of medication. But um, that's one of the other other problems with this is what, and how it can get so bad. is because doctors aren't aware that you need to test for more than just Lyme. Well, there was a case just in Connecticut of Powassan virus that turned fatal this year. Yes. So I'm sure yeah. you're aware of viruses like Powassan. Do you know anybody who's had anything like that? I do not personally know, but I do know that there's been two in Connecticut. One did survive, and she gave us a talk not too long ago in Ridgefield. Um, and then there's the other one that just recently passed away. And there's nothing that we can do for that that we know of at this point. There is no cure for that one other than getting to the hospital for palliative care and making sure that they get the fever and everything under control. And now we go over to our tick expert this morning, Dr. Gudars Molai. He's the chief scientist, department head, and director of the Tick and Tick-Borne Pathogen Surveillance Program, helping the state with research. Dr. Molai, what are some of the diseases that we're seeing this year when it comes to tick-borne illnesses? Nearly 50% of black-legged or deer ticks are infected with at least one disease agent. We used to have about 32% of adult black-legged ticks to be infected with Lyme disease pathogen, and 22% with uh, Lyme disease pathogen in nymphal stage, juvenile stage. However, in recent years, that number has increased to 38%. At times, it has jumped to 45%. So has the prevalence of infection with babesiosis. Right now, we are... Uh, looking at about 10 to 12 percent of ticks to be infected with babesiosis pathogen and uh, around 10 percent to be infected with uh, anaplasmosis. In addition, for ticks to be infected with a single disease agent, we are seeing more and more ticks to be infected with more than one disease agent. In other words, they are co-infected with two, and sometimes three important disease agents. And you can imagine this co-infection could create complications for the diagnosis and treatment of uh, tick-borne diseases because not necessarily all tick-borne diseases can be effectively treated by using antibiotics. Looking back at your journey thus far with Lyme, 
uh, going as far back as when it wasn't diagnosed for you to the point where it was diagnosed and you started to get heavy treatment for it and you continue to cope with Lyme. Do you think that the medical field has gotten better, in your view, at dealing with Lyme, at detecting it? You know, that's a really good question. I think there's more awareness of it out there, but I don't know that the technology has come very far in the past 40 years, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, There's very few testing options out there, and like I said, they're not very reliable. And there's only certain doctors who are willing to perform them. And the other problem is most of those are out of pocket because we go to specialty labs. So mainstream insurance doesn't cover it. So a lot of people are put off to get further testing because they can't afford it. It's quite costly. Um, But once we had an idea that this is what it was, we sunk the money into it. It was an investment to get the information to find out how to treat. So that's how we chose to look at it. May I ask um, what kind of money you are putting into your treatment for Lyme? It's incredibly expensive. Most insurance companies don't want to pay for more than 30 days of antibiotics because that's what the standard treatment protocol is. But when you have late-stage Lyme, when it's gone on and on and becomes chronic, it takes a lot longer, like I said, years of treatment. So on average, our family was spending approximately $30,000 a year out of pocket to treat for this disease. So it's ruined us financially. Elena Zajac, our guest on Face Connecticut, she has a documentary out. It's called The Monster Inside Me. It's about Lyme disease. And is it particularly about your journey with Lyme? Is it Does it involve other people? It does. It's actually, it is a grassroots documentary, meaning that it was made for the Lyme community by the Lyme community. We're not big Hollywood. Um, I got involved in the project actually from a Facebook post back in 2017 there was a director from phoenix who his girlfriend had lyme and they were looking for other couples who had struggled with it and actually survived their relationship survived the disease and the the kind of neat twist of fate is i responded to the email and i shared my our family story because what really saved us was the fact that my husband got lyme and he was the last one to be diagnosed It was really difficult prior to his diagnosis because he didn't understand or believe what we went through because the the treatment's hard. It it hurts. There's a lot of choices that you have to make. You you miss a lot of things because you're so fatigued. And it created a lot of tension in our marriage. But once he found out he had it, he started the treatment. He knew what we were going through. It changed everything for us. It actually saved us. It made us stronger. It made us closer. It made us a better, tighter family. And so we may have lost a lot, but we ended up gaining a ton. And that's how we got involved in the movie, because they liked our story. So they interviewed many couples across the country and actually around the world. We have a couple from Finland. Um who have all gone through similar experiences where the Lyme could have destroyed them, but it didn't. And um, we also talk, it's broken up into five parts, and it talks about the, the horrible things about Lyme. It talks about the controversies behind Lyme. It talks about the losses of Lyme, but then it also talks about the hope and the beauty that comes out of it. So there's several couples that they follow throughout their journey. Um, our, our story is one of them. And it, it explains to the general public and to families what it's like to truly suffer. What is the big message that you're trying to get out to other people? We're trying to get out there to believe that people are truly struggling when they say they are and 
those that are struggling to not give up, to never lose hope. There's always a way to heal and, and to not, not, not give up on the mainstream med- medical community. It's not their fault that they don't know as much about this as they should, but to keep being persistent. If you feel that there's something wrong with you, if you feel not right and not like yourself, seek out what it is. Don't give up until every stone's been turned. Um, it could be something as simple as a bacterial infection, which is essentially what this is that's just gone awry for way too long. How can people find this documentary? How can they watch it and learn from it? It's located exclusively on our website, which is the www.themonsterinsideme.com. They can download it through Vimeo. Um, there's a, it's a streaming service, and you can watch it on your device. We will have DVDs available for purchase in the next month or so. We're still working out the kinks on that, but we'll have those available. Um, and that's that's how you see it. So far, we've had thirty or thirty-five different countries have viewed it, and we've had over fourteen fourteen hundred views, um, which is pretty good for the first couple of weeks since we were first released. And again, like I said, we're not big Hollywood. We did this completely independently. Um, it was done through a little bit of crowdfunding and a lot of help from some Lyme organizations and just a lot of hard work. What's next in your fight personally? Next in my fight personally is to completely heal. I'm very, very close to being there. And I've taken what I've learned, and I'm trying to help others. They kind of call me the Lyme lady. Like I said, I get emails and texts daily. I've been bit. What do I do? So I've decided to turn that into something to help others. So that's where I'm going. And I also hope to see legislation changed eventually. There's a lot of political things behind this disease that we've done some work with. But I hope to continue to advocate and push for change. Elena Zajac, she's been our guest this morning on Face Connecticut. I hate to say we are out of time, but I do want to thank you for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to mention quickly that we didn't get a chance to touch on? No, just please... um, Check yourself daily for ticks. That is the most important thing. We live here in Connecticut. Everyone is at risk, whether you live in the city or the country or on the shore. Ticks are everywhere. So know your body. Check yourself daily. And I did want to check in again one last time with our resident tick expert, Dr. Gudars Malai, doing research for the state of Connecticut all about ticks. What are some of the basic preventative measures that somebody could take so they make sure that they don't get infected with a tick-borne illness. We have to be aware of those areas that are infested with ticks. These areas may include wooded areas, brushy areas, bushy areas, tall grasses. We have to avoid uh, going into those areas. And if we end up going to those areas, we have to wear light-colored clothing and put our pants into our tops, wear long sleeve shirts and spray our clothes with pesticide with effective and relatively safe pesticides and after letting those clothes dry we can put them on and then if we have exposed skin then we can apply repellents like DEET in order to stay relatively safe from tick bites and if we are active in outdoor in areas that are infested with ticks we have to perform religious thorough tick checks within two or three hours after outdoor activity. We have to do that with our pet animals as well. After that, we have to remove that clothes and put in a uh, plastic bag and tie it and then uh, 
inspect ourselves one more time, then take shower even during the bathing we have to do to conduct thorough tick check and then put later on our clothes in washer, if not in dryer at high heat so that uh, we can uh, we can feel uh, safe. Uh, another thing is that if we remove a tick, it is uh, we, I advise people to feel free to send those ticks our way. We, the, the least that we could do to determine what kind of tick it is, if that particular tick has been on people for long enough to pose risk of infection. And once we determine that, yes, that is the kind of tick that might be risky for, for humans that have been encountered those ticks, we proceed with testing and report the results within two or three hours after we receive ticks. If they perform these, all these suggestions, I am confident that to greater extent they will be safe and immune from tick-borne diseases. You can prevent it. Elena, thank you so much for being on Face Connecticut. I appreciate it. Thank you, Morgan. I appreciate your time very much. And you be good. You be healthy, okay? Thank you, and you be well as well. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.